Oh, welcome to Mosaic. If you're, if you're a guest, my name's Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just want to take my hat off to you, give you some props this morning uh, for being here. Um, I know on any given Sunday morning, you can be just about anywhere, and on a cold Sunday morning like today, bed sounds pretty good. So the fact that you're here, uh, I just want to affirm that, man, it's valuable, and, and I'm pumped that you're here. Uh, this morning, this morning we, we, we've been in this series called uh, People of the Second Chance, and we've been journeying through Galatians and, and talking about what it means to be a people of the second chance, a people marked by grace, consumed by grace, extenders of grace, uh, this gospel message of grace. And uh, this morning is going to be um, just a little bit different. Uh, this morning, um, I'm kind of in a raw place. Uh, this is honestly, this is like one of those messages that in a perfect world, I would probably stir on this for a long time. Uh, a lot longer. Uh, I don't feel quite ready to, to share this, um, just because it's raw. Uh, God has just been kind of gutting me um, in this season in a really good way, like a really painful way, like this sucks kind of a way, but is awesome kind of a way. So just so you know, like that's, that's what I'm sharing out of this morning, and chances are it's probably not going to be one of those messages that you walk out thinking that is the most amazing message I've ever heard on a Sunday morning. Uh, you're probably not going to uh, think that. Um, and that's not my goal. Uh, my goal is to be, to be real and, and to be helpful. And so this morning, uh, it's really, honestly, is like one part confessional and, and one part uh, called a confession. So that's kind of where we're going. That's what you're in for, so giddy up. Um, few, so here, here's where this all started. So a few weeks ago, no, it's a couple months ago now. A couple months ago now, I was at uh, this shopping center that's like right in our neighborhood, and uh, I ran into an old friend from high school uh, that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And so we did the whole, like, catching up thing. Hey, it's great to see you. Uh, and he was sharing kind of, like, what his life looks like these days and what he's into and what he's involved in. And um, then he asked me, and I started to share about Mosaic. And he said, you know, I actually, I know about Mosaic. I've been following, and it, and it just sounds like some really cool things are happening. I'm so happy for you. And, uh, and I made the comment. I said, you know, uh, this is, it's, it's definitely not what I thought I would be doing with my life. That's for sure. The whole pastor thing, starting churches thing, uh, that's not what I, what I thought uh, I'd be doing. Uh, but even stranger, uh, most weeks, uh, I love it, which is crazy. And, and he said, you know, knowing who you were back then, honestly, it doesn't really surprise me. And he said, you know, and he asked me a question. He said, does it ever bother you, you know, that your dad was a pastor and, and now you're a pastor and, you know, there's probably people out there that say, of course, he'd become a pastor. His dad's a pastor. Uh, kind of the easy thing to do. Uh, does it ever bother you, you know, that people would think that or say that? And off the cuff, like without thinking, thinking about it, what I said rather flippantly was, I don't care what people think. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. And uh, he said, oh, okay, well, good. You know, that's good. That's good. And, and then we kind of said our niceties and went our separate ways. And... Um, no sooner did I get in the car and start driving home, which was just a few blocks away, that I had this thought. And I don't know if it came from God, or I don't know if it was just, just popped in my head. But the thought was, you are such a liar. That is so not true. You care so much about what other people think. And honestly, it's felt like almost every single day since then, like God is just like opening this thing up and showing me all of the ways in which the thoughts and the opinions of other people drive and control so much of my life. Almost every single day. 
right? And, and so I started thinking about this, just making a list of all the different ways. I mean, what other people think uh, drives so much of my behavior. It affects what I wear, right? So this morning, Sunday morning, I got my nice shoes on, my jeans, nice jeans, you know, not too skinny, you know, where there's, I can't breathe, but enough to be tailored, you know, and, and look slimming, right? I picked out this shirt, you know, because I want to look a certain way. I want to be per- perceived a certain way, right? In some environments, I want to be perceived as sharp, right, and professional, right? And then in other environments, I want to be perceived as, uh, you know, hip and doing his own thing, not professional, you know, but it's totally driven, totally driven by the, the thoughts and opinions of other people. Uh, it definitely affects what I say and I don't say, if I'm really honest, all the time. Right? Because I want to be liked. I, I want to be accepted. Uh, I don't want to be the awkward Christian guy that is always dropping Jesus into every conversation. Um, by other people, I want to be, I want to be admired, if I'm really honest. Right? I, I want to be thought of as being thoughtful or intelligent or counterintuitive, you know, or all these ridiculous things. It totally affects what I choose to say uh, and what I choose not to say. At times it means me avoiding hard conversations simply because I don't want to go there. Um, At other times it it, it causes me to avoid certain people or it causes me, even when I know I should say something, I don't because I'm afraid of how I might be received. Um, it affects how I spend my time. I, I've, I've shared this before. I have a tendency to be kind of a workaholic and, and I have a hard time like shutting off and turning off and resting and, and just being okay with the work that's done even when I don't really need to do any more work. All right, what is that? Right, I think part of, me, part of me wants to think it's just a, you're an achiever, man. You're a dreamer. You're a hard worker. Look at me, Aaron, the hard worker. You know, it's just like, whatever. I think there's another part of me that, if I'm really honest, it's that uh, I'm af- so afraid of failure and being perceived as a failure. All right, because I want to be perceived as a, a, a success, if I'm really honest. I think for some of us, myself included at times, can cause just obsessing, spending unholy amounts of time on social media. You know what I'm saying? Not that social media is evil. I love social media. Right? Social media was a huge part of us starting this church because we had no money. Right? But, but why do I need to be on there all the time? Right? Trying my best to be clever in 140 characters or less. Look at how many people retweet what I say because it makes me feel good. Comparing how many likes I get on something compared to somebody else. Right? Just to put all my junk out there. I mean, <laughs> several months ago, I... Uh, I just, on Twitter, I followed a, another pastor in town. And uh, <laughs> I told myself, uh, it's because I wanted to be encouraging. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reply and retweet his stuff and tell him I'm praying for him. You know? Be kingdom-minded. And if I'm really honest, I think there was a part of me that just kind of wanted to keep dibs on what he was up to. And uh, somewhere along the way, like a, f- <laughs> a few months ago, uh, he quoted something on Twitter. And I, re- I read the tweet. And for whatever reason, I had the thought, and this guy pastors a church that's like several times the size of Mosaic. Much bigger, right? And so I thought, I wonder how many followers he has. Click on his profile, go see. What do you think I did after that? Clicked on my profile to see how many followers I had. 
right? So I could either feel good about myself or horrible about myself. What is that? Oh, it's, it's horrible, but it's me. You know, there are days when that's, that's me. Right? The thoughts and the opinions of other people affects, affects who I spend my time with, if I'm really honest. Like I said, there's some people that I avoid. There's other people that I think I spend time with because it's good for me. Makes me feel better. Uh, they give me uh, maybe what I think I, I want or I need, whether that be admiration or just patting me on the back, complimenting me, because there's a part of me that needs that at times. Right? It, it definitely affects what I'm willing to attempt or to not attempt, because I don't want to look foolish right? doing something that I, I don't already know I'm going to succeed in. So I avoid risk at times. Because I just, the perceptions of others, it's just this controlling force. And I think, and so God has just been like opening this up. It's like the moment you think that, I, I feel like the moment I feel like I'm doing really good spiritually and God has me in this good place, like this door of my heart just like, is like, oh, there's other skeletons in there. Like, man, that is dark. Right? And so this is just where God has me. I think if I'm really honest, there, there are days and moments in my life where the thoughts and the opinions and the affirmation or the lack of affirmation that I get from other people controls so much of what I do, how I feel about myself, what I choose to engage in or not engage in. It is this controlling force. And I'm going to be just put myself out on a limb this morning and guess that I'm not the only one. And, and the details might be different in your life, but I'm going to venture to guess that this whole thing is not just my issue, but that it's, it's ours. And the Bible has language for this. Uh, the Bible calls this fear of man. Fear of man. This, this is what Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whatever, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Right, the fear of man will be a snare. Right, it'll trap you. It will catch you. It will keep you. The fear of man. Now, I need to say this. When, when the Bible talks about fear, uh, it uses it in a very different sense than what we think about when we think about fear, oftentimes. Sometimes it talks about being terrorized or being afraid. Um, but more often, when it talks about fear, when it talks about fear of man or fearing the Lord, oftentimes what it's talking about is, is this, this sense of awe and wonder. Right, like this divine, wow. You know what I mean? So it's when it's talking about fearing the Lord, it's like coming before God and just being like, oh my goodness, being in awe of his creation and who he is. Like this is, this is the one who spoke creation into existence. Or right? this is the one who sustains all of life with his hands. Or right? this is one that hung the stars in the sky and who looks down and cares about me. Right? This is this sense of awe and wonder. Our fear of man is when we take that divine wow and rather than ascribing it to God, we ascribe it to other people. Right? Functionally, what it is, is when in our lives, comparatively, people are really, really big and God is relatively small. Right? It is biblically, fear of man, is it's, it's holding someone in awe. It is being controlled or, or mastered by people. It is putting your trust in people. It is needing or needing something from people 
whether that be affirmation or pats on the back or affection or attention. Biblically, it is, all these things are our fear of man, right? And so just yesterday, I was talking to a really good friend of mine. One of the ways that this works itself out in his life, we were talking about this whole idea of fear of man. And he's like, oh my goodness. He said, this is, this is ever present in my life. And, and this is a guy who is highly creative. We're talking about mad skills. Like he, he has, he is able to create things that I, I couldn't even create my dreams because I can't even dream it up. But he can create, dream it up and create it. Uh, just mad gifts, like tangible gifts and skills. And he said, man, for me, the way that this fleshes itself out is when I'm in a room with other creatives and there's people in the room who are more creative than I am, uh, I stop creating. Right? The creative juices almost like stop flowing entirely and I just stop putting my work out there because I'm afraid that they're going to create something better than I can. Right? Or I'm going to create something and those creatives who I respect and admire and I want their attention and affirmation uh, won't approve and, and sign off on my work. They won't be impressed. Right? We have a lot of different language for this fear of man. Right? When, we're, when you're young, right, it's peer pressure. <laughs> if you think back to like middle school, I think middle school, oh my gosh, just watch middle schoolers. Right? It's like just this awkward phase of life where everybody is walking in fear <laughs> of what everybody is thinking. And some people like hide in the corner and girls tend to like overcompensate with volume, but everybody's afraid of everybody, right? And when we're young, the language is peer pressure. But then we grow up and it doesn't change. We just call it something different, right? The language changes, but we're the same. We call it people pleasing, right? And in psychological circles, we call it codependency, right? All of it's the same. Right, it's, un, it's needing something or needing someone or something from someone in an unhealthy way and making those people functionally very, very big in our lives and God uh, very, very small. And what the scriptures say is, man, you know what? Basically, there's, there's going to be one thing in your life that is going to take primacy. Either you're going to fear God and be in awe of God, the divine wow, either that's going to be God and he's going to be very big in your life or it's going to be people. And it's going to be one or the other. You're either going to fear God or fear people. You're either going to trust God or trust people. You're either going to look to God to meet all of your needs or you're going to be looking to, to people. And I think functionally for many of us, if we could have coffee and just lay all of our crap on the table, for most of us, most days functionally, I would argue and suggest that much of our lives are ruled functionally by fear, not of God, but uh, of other people. Right? And when we open up the scriptures, we can look at this and find this as far back as we can look. Right? And so if you remember, if you're familiar with the scriptures and the creation story, it's so interesting because we get to see pre-sin and brokenness, this relationship not only between God and people, but just as importantly between people and people. Right? And so Adam and Eve are, are naked in every way, physically, vulnerably, emotionally, psychologically, they are naked before one another and feel no shame. Right? But the moment that they rebel against God and sin enters the equation, we're told that something fundamental changed about their relationship with one another. They looked at each other, and though nothing had changed physically, all of a sudden they realized that they were naked, that they were exposed that they were broken and were told that they were ashamed, right? And so they made clothes 
and they hid themselves. And for the first time, we see man not just fearing God anymore, but for the first time, fearing one another. Right? And I would suggest, especially as we open up the scriptures, you can find this everywhere, from Genesis to Jesus' return. Ever since, we have been walking in fear of one another, in unholy awe and wonder and dependence on one another. Uh, ever since. It's, it's, it's epide- epidemic. And by the way, this is one of those things that, interestingly, no one is exempt from. Right? And so, man, we look at the apostles, them too. Right, the people who physically walked with Jesus, them too. Right, even Peter. And so we've been in this past or in this series walking through Galatians, and and in chapter two we're we're told this account between Paul and an encounter that he had with the apostle Peter. Right now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that that Peter was kind of a big deal in the scriptures. Uh, he was a very big deal. Uh, not only was he um, an apostle and one of the original disciples, but he was like the apostle of apostles in many ways. He was the disciple of disciples, right? As we're talking about fear, he's the last guy we would have thought would struggle with fear because he was, he was the boldest of them all, right? He was the one that was always like running into the burning building. He was acting before he thinks, which got him into trouble a lot, right? But he was just like foot in his mouth because he was just like, there's no edit button. It was just out there, just bold. But as we're going to find... Uh, this is something that, that Peter struggled with, right? And this is important to note, all right? Because this is fear in a biblical sense. And I think sometimes we think, you know what? This is probably just something that applies more to the timid people. Right? I'm an introvert, right? To some of us who don't like to put ourselves out there sometimes and would rather step back into the shadows. And, and okay, fear of man, yeah, I get that. But no, that wasn't Peter. Peter was an extrovert. He was bold, right? He would have been out there, right? He would have been the guy that all of us would have said he is I want to be that guy most of the time. And he struggled with this, right? And so we're given this picture of on the night of Jesus' arrest. Jesus is arrested. He's in the house of the high priest. And we're told that Peter is kind of out in the shadows, hanging around. He wants to see what's going to happen. Definitely filled with fear because Jesus has just been arrested. And we're told that there's some, some officials and some servants that are gathered around a fire on this cold night. And one of the servant girls says, I, you were with Jesus. Right? And if you remember, Jesus, or Peter, says, no, 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 no. You're mistaken. Not me. Right? And then we're told he's, he's confronted again. And, so, and it might even have been the same servant girl. Right? Says, no, I swear I saw you with, with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. Right? And Peter it gets worse. Peter says, no, it's not me. And then he punctuates it with like this, this oath. And then it gets even worse. And he's confronted a third time. And this time he starts calling down curses on himself and swearing to those present that he doesn't know the man. Right? And we're told the timing couldn't have been worse because in that moment, Jesus could see Peter, probably because he was being moved from the house of the high priest to the Sanhedrin. And it says he looks straight at Peter Right? And Peter's just devastated. Just boom goes the dynamite. Right? He is just like floored in his sin in that moment. Now, one of the cool things for us, okay, first of all, I point that out just, just to show this is true of all of us. It's true of Peter. Peter who witnessed the miracles, who walked with Jesus. Peter the rock, 
Right? Peter, who witnessed the transfiguration, who was given the Holy Spirit to confirm the identity of Jesus, who was commissioned by Jesus to lead, that Peter. All right? So fear of man is applicable to everybody. Right? We're all, none of us are exempt. But with the cool thing, one of the things I love, so one of the things we find is that the way that Jesus responds to Peter is that Jesus seems to take joy in showing him grace and showing him a second chance. Right, so the story continues, and Jesus, as we know, gets crucified. And on the third day, according to the Gospels, he rises again. And the record that we have of the angel's pronouncement of Jesus' resurrection says, go and tell the disciples, oh, and Peter, that Jesus has risen. Right? And then we're given this other account where they're huddled up together, maybe on a night very much like the first one, perhaps around the fire, And to each of of Peter's three denials, Jesus gives him three opportunities, three invitations to feed those who would come after him. And then ends by saying, follow me. I don't know about you, but being devastated before Jesus and then being radically forgiven physically by Jesus. I don't know if you can imagine this. Hard to imagine. Sitting around the fire being shown grace physically by Jesus on the other side of his resurrection and then commissioned to lead his church, one would think that this would never be an issue for Peter again. Definitely he would never doubt enough to have to walk in fear of what other people think. But that's not what we find. And so when we fast forward to Galatians that we've been walking through, uh, Paul talks about a conversation Uh, that he had to have with Peter. And this is what we have recorded for us. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. says, When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. For when he first arrived, he ate with Gentile Christians. Right now, Gentile Christians were not the religious folk. They had always been the outsiders. They had always been the sinners, the outcasts, the not good enoughs. Right? And if you remember, then Jesus steps on the scene and he flips the script. And everything changes. And he says, no, 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 no. You guys have gotten it wrong all along. There is not the good enoughs and the not good enoughs. There's all the not good enoughs. Right? All the sinners and outcasts and misfits. That's all of you, by the way. But man, I love you anyway. And this grace, this second chance message is now for everybody. There are no longer div- division uh, of sex Male or female, there's not Gentile Jew, there's not rich, there's not poor, there's no division against uh, along racial lines. But now in Christ, there's just one forgiven people of the second chance who are called to show grace to a world that is hurting. That's it. Right? And Peter knew this. Right? In Acts chapter 10, we have record of, of this vision that Peter has. And then he goes and he hangs out with, with uh, <clears throat> Gentiles. And and he goes and shares this message of grace. And we're told that this amazing thing has been happening in the churches in Antioch, these Galatian believers. And already, right, God has leveled the playing field among them. And they are all around the table. It's this incredible thing, right? In this culture, eating together, sharing a meal together was profoundly spiritual. And it communicated that we are on equal ground. You are my brother. And all these men and these women which was not the case before. These Jews, these Gentiles, the rich, the poor, they're all around the table together as one united people covered in grace, people of the second chance. And Peter had been living that way, and then all of a sudden, though, something happened. 
And these very respectable guys, these religious elite people, right, with all types of letters after their name, right, who checked off all the right boxes, so they thought, lots of reputation, lots of power and worldly influence. They walk in, and Peter, afraid of them, changes. And this is what it says. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Why? He was afraid. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray as well. So Peter was afraid. Right now, this is this is significant for us to recognize this whole fear of man thing. It didn't go away for Peter automatically on the other side of the cross. It didn't go away automatically on the other side of being extended God's grace. This would be, I think, a lifelong struggle for Peter. But Paul gets in his face because it's so important because he's not, what's happening is he is not loving in this radically inclusive way that God does. Instead, he's selectively choosing. You know what? I'm going to love these people and not these people. I'm going to allow thoughts and the opinions of this group of people or this person to affect my life. The people in my life in this moment are very, very big, and God is very, very small. Right? And so this morning, uh, there's some things, I think, that for us that we just kind of need to get on the same page with uh, because I would suggest, again, that this is something that is true at different moments on different days of every single one of us. Right, and the first thing that Paul does is he gets in his face and he says, Peter, you've got to understand, this is a gospel issue. This is a sin issue. Right, and, and I know, man, we don't like talking about sin uh, these days. And, and I understand why. Right, tolerance is kind of our universal cultural value. We don't want to suggest that anybody could be wrong. Right, but as we've been talking about in this whole second chance, the assumption of the message of the second chance of God's grace is that we are all wrong. Right, and here's the thing. Until, when it comes to fearing men, making them big, putting all of our eggs in, in, into this basket of what other people think of us, or what we need from them, um, if we don't own that and call it what it is, which is sin, brokenness, right, Healing cannot happen. Right? And for some of us, we are living in this cage. Right? That, that it, being that it is a sin issue, this is also a freedom issue. And what has happened, what is happening every single time that we live in this way, and we make fearing the men the most important thing in our lives, functionally. Right? We are giving them control of how we think, of how we feel, whether we feel good about ourselves or not what we're going to do or not do, we are not free because this is a sin issue, right? And so one of the things I want to just call us to this morning and you individually with where you're sitting this morning is to own it and call it what it is, right? Which is, right, it's repenting, okay? And, And that's just like a religious word for owning your junk before God, asking for his help, asking for his forgiveness, and walking forward in grace. That's what repentance is. And we as a people of second chance, we need to get really good at repenting. And until we do, there can't be healing. 
Because when we refuse to repent, what we're saying is that, God, I don't need you. Right? Whether this is sin or not, I'll take care of it. That's what a lack of repentance is. Right? So Paul gets in Peter's face lovingly and says, dude, what you're doing is not cool. This is wrong. Right? This, this misrepresents God and his message of grace and second chance, which is for all people. So you need to get, you need to fall on your face and, and ask for forgiveness. And then that being said, um, you know, Paul is concerned that essentially in walking in sin then and unrepentantly, what Peter's been doing is Peter's not free and those who are following his lead are not free to love extravagantly because this is a freedom issue. Right, because here's the thing, right? When we need something from somebody, when I need something from you to be okay, I cannot love you selflessly anymore because I need something from you. I'm expecting something from you. And when I don't get it, I'm not okay. Right, this, this supersedes. I mean, this, this extends itself and manifests itself. It can manifest itself in all kinds of, all of our relationships. Right, so as a dad... Right? Fear of men can definitely apply to the way that I, I, re, I relate to my kids. Right? When I'm walking in sin and I'm not free to love my kids unconditionally, right? I need something from them. Maybe it's I need them to affirm me as a good dad. I need them to show me a certain amount of affection. I need them to be maybe successful or okay for me to be okay. That's, that's a form of fear of man. Right? Same with my relationship with my wife. When I need something from her for me to be okay, and I'm walking in this fear of man, I'm not free to love her selflessly, extravagantly. Right? Unknowingly, what ends up happening is we manipulate other people. We're using them, even if we don't mean to, to get what we need. Right? And so I'm not free to love my wife extravagantly because I need her affection. I need her affirmation that I'm a good husband. I need her love. I need her to tell me this about myself so I can feel like that's true of myself. Affects the way that, shoot, it affects the way that I pastor. I've shared with you before, like when, before I get up and teach on a Sunday morning, oftentimes what I'm feeling is stress. A lot of stress. I used to lose like all night, Saturday night, or a good chunk of Saturday night, like sleep, because I, I was so stressed. Right, what's that about? Well, it's because I'm so afraid that I'm going to be perceived as a failure. I'm so afraid the message isn't going to be good enough. In that moment, am I free to just love you selflessly and authentically? No. I'm, in a sense, even though I don't, might not mean to, I'm using you to feel good about myself. Right? And this extends to our relationships with our peers, our friends, our neighbors, your boss. So we need people. And what's happening, so what's happening when we live in the fear of men is we need people more than we actually love them. We need them more than we love them. And so Paul is in Peter's face saying, man, you are not loving people well. And until you're free, from needing all these things from other people until God is the big thing in your life and people are small, you're just going to be using people and failing to love them. And that's not where you need to be. Like, that's not necessary. Right? And so on the other side, right, when I am, when I am free, when, when God is the big thing in my life, I am free to love my spouse, Megan, I, my wife, I am free to love her without condition. Do I want her to return affection? Of course I do. But I don't need it to love her and love her and love her. 
right? As a dad, I don't need my kids to accomplish anything academically, uh, professionally, spiritually, relationally. In fact, they could bomb for the rest of their lives, right? I can say with integrity, you know what? If you live in my basement still when you're 34 and you're overweight because you drink too much natty light and you're playing Xbox all day, if that happens, I still love you selflessly, graciously, extravagantly. Right? When I get out of the way and God is the big thing in my life, I can get up here and be honest and vulnerable and love you and bomb on a Sunday morning and I'm still okay. Right? I, I can love you extravagantly because I don't need you to pat me on the back or share the message online or tell me how amazing it is. Right? All those things are so just idolatrous. No, I can just love authentically, fully, extravagantly. Right? I'm free to love my peers extravagantly, graciously. I don't need people to agree with me. I don't need to be, right? And that's, this is a good test. How do, you, how do you respond to people who disagree with you? What do you feel when people disagree with you? Right? Is it anxiety? Like, are you okay? Because if not, functionally what's going on there is you need people to agree with you to be okay. And man, Christians, sometimes we are the worst at this, aren't we? It just amazes me how many Christians get so angry the moment somebody says, yeah, I don't believe that. Right? And they just react, which functionally is saying, I need you to agree with me to be okay. Right? That's somebody who needs something from people not loving extravagantly. When I'm free of that, though, we can disagree, and I can still show you grace. I can still love you well, because I don't need that to be okay. And uh, just, to, just to level with you, like there, there, are, there are weeks when I feel like I do this really well. Um, and, and then there are weeks like this week uh, when I don't. And, and I realize just how pervading this is in my life when it goes unnoticed and unchecked. So this week I, I, I wrote an article and I posted it online. And uh, it was on a topic that people... Uh, just love to agree with you on um, homosexuality in the church and uh, <laughs> not. Um, and I wrote this article and um, I wrote it because I felt like I needed to. And I wrote it and I posted it on a blog that nobody knew existed. And <laughs> it was there, but, but it was okay because nobody even knew that that website was there. You know, it's not, you couldn't even search for it. You know, it wouldn't even show up. Um, and I went back and forth on whether I was actually going to post this thing. Even though I knew it was the right thing to do, and even though I believe every word that I wrote. But I, <laughs> I posted this thing, and I went to share it on Facebook, and you know, it like pops up the little window. And I stared at that thing for almost a full day. And I paced back and forth in the basement. And and the reason I, and I was just afraid. I mean, if I'm really honest, fear of man. That's all this freaking thing was. Because I believed it. I knew I had to post it. Felt like God was telling me I needed to do this. But I was so afraid of people disagreeing with me. And I knew they would. And I was so afraid of the backlash and the criticism. and, And I knew it would come. And so I thought, maybe I won't post this. I hopped on Facebook and somebody found it and posted it. I was like, crap. (laughs) 
So I couldn't get out of it at that point. It's somebody from Mosaic. Thank you very much, whoever that was. Uh, <laughs> and so this thing gets on, online, and, and uh, before I know it, it's just freaking everywhere. And, uh, and I got to tell you, as this thing just went all over the place, um, I felt about this big. And it's not that I don't believe every word. Because I do. Um, but uh, I just want to be liked. I want people to agree with me. I want people to admire me. I've got pastors that are up in my business right now. <laughs> and half of them are saying, yes, finally, somebody said it. And the other half are <laughs> not saying that. Right? And, and I'm just saying, like, this is one of those things I'm learning, like, this just, man, I just don't always do this well. But one of the things that has happened in this, and, and just honestly in, like, reading this and studying this and preparing for this, is, like, it's forcing me to own my own junk. And, and it's forcing me onto my knees in desperation. And God is just doing such a work, as raw as this is, as hard as this is. But you got to know this morning, like, the difference is, is honestly, it's just repentance so that we can learn to walk in grace. It's, it's pointing out what this is, not rationalizing it, but saying, this, this, is, this is sin, this is, this is putting other people where God should be, right? This is putting my trust in them, my need in them at times using them and calling it what it is. And we've got to get really good at this whole repentance thing. Otherwise, with all this junk in here, it, it never gets rooted out. Right? And there's a distinction here you've got to know. Repentance is not just about forgiveness because if you're in Christ, you're forgiven. You do know that, right? Like forever. So if you walk in fear of man for the rest of your life, and most of the decisions, all the decisions you make are totally dependent on what other people think and you allow that to shape every decision you make for the rest of your life. If you're in Christ and you have given your life over to him, you're covered. You're swimming in grace. So this is not just about forgiveness. This is about learning to walk in grace and letting God change us from the inside out. And that can't help happen until we own our own junk. And so this morning, I don't, I'm not going to give you five steps to overcoming the fear of man. <laughs> We're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, next week. But this morning, all I want to do is for us to together own our crap and call it what it is, which the Bible says is sin. And asking for God's forgiveness and asking for his help, putting him back where he belongs, which is big in our lives, so that people don't have to be. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you some questions and these questions are simply to help you kind of do a self-assessment and ask whether this is your issue. And uh, my belief is that it is. And so I am trying to convince you that it is. Right? But this is to help you kind of put your finger on where this is already existing potentially in your life. Right? So here we go. Nine questions. And I just ask you just to be honest. All right? God, open our eyes if this is our deal. Number one, all right, have you struggled with peer pressure? If you struggled with it as a kid, 
Chances are you struggle with it now, even though you might call it something else like people-pleasing or codependency. All right, it's caring about what people think, what they say, being accepted, being approved. Guilty. Number two, uh, are you overcommitted? If so, why? Why do you need to be? Right? Do you just not feel the ability to say no and let people down? All right? Because you need something from them. Right? That's, that's just another form of fear of man. Guilty. Number three, is self-esteem a critical concern for you? I know that's probably not true of anybody here. Ladies, right? Culturally, man, you guys got it rough. Does not help. But I know it's also a guy issue too. Do you struggle with self-esteem? Is it a big deal to you? Guilty. Number four, are you... Is our embarrassment or shyness common for you? All right now, this is coming from an introvert, okay? So, inter- introverts unite. As an introvert, I would rather step back, <laughs> you know, let other people kind of be the middle of the show, have the attention. All right, so I'm not talking just about that. I'm talking about being shy and withdrawn and embarrassed because of what you put out there. Right? Because you don't want people to disapprove. Right? Because you don't want to own what you believe or what you said. Right? Being embarrassed right, is the rejection of other people, your reaction to that, because you need that. Shyness is oftentimes just avoiding people because you're, you're afraid you won't get the approval right, that you feel that you need. It's definitely an issue for introverts and extroverts, but this isn't an introversion or extroversion issue. Right? It's a fear of man issue guilty. Number five, do you second-guess decisions because of what people might think? Because you're afraid how they might react, that they might disapprove, they might reject you. Guilty. Number six, do other people often make you angry, depressed, or drive you crazy? I know that's not true of anybody in this room. Right? Why do they, why do they drive you crazy? Why would other people make you angry? Right? because you're reacting to how they're not giving you what you feel you need. You're not okay as long as they're like that. They need to be different. They need to be acting different for you to be okay. It's affecting you emotionally. They're controlling you emotionally. It's a fear of man issue. Guilty. Number seven. Do you avoid people? This is my go-to strategy, by the way. (laughs) Avoiding people. Right When this is going on, just don't make eye contact. Keep walking. It's a fear of man issue. Guilty. Number eight, do you take too much responsibility for other people? Right, there's a fine line between really caring for people and needing to be a big deal in their life. Needing to be needed. It's a fear of man issue. At times, guilty. But oftentimes I'm too selfish, so that's not my issue. Uh, Number nine, uh, are you too committed to being nice, keeping peace, and avoiding conflict? All right, this is like a corporate sin of the church. Be nice, shake hands, don't say anything that's going to make waves. That was not Jesus. I don't know where we got that. He made a lot of waves, made a lot of people angry. Right, and in this passage, Paul loves Peter enough to get in his face and say, I love you, brother, but you're wrong. Guilty. All right, so this morning, 
Let's just call it what it is. Let's call it what it is. Right? It's sin. It's putting too much stock in other people, making them too important in our lives. Let's just, let's just own that together and confess that together. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for not letting me get away with my junk, for running after me when I seem so insistent at times at at running away from you. I thank you, Lord, for calling me on my own sin so that I don't have to walk in that or be a slave to that or be controlled by that anymore. And I thank you for just the gutting that you're doing in me right now, as raw as, as it is, as hard as it is. And Lord God, I pray this for everybody here, <laughs> even though some of us might not want it. Lord, help us to see how we need and worship other people and help us to see how that doesn't serve them well. Free us to love extravagantly. Free us from that so that we can love without needing anything in return. Make us that kind of community, Lord. May it be so. And so, Lord God, as we come before you in worship as a community in this time, as the music plays, Lord God, would you just keep pointing out those things in our heart so that we can invite you in there and change that. Lord, we love you. And as a people of the second chance, we pray these things in your name. Amen.